Welcome again, everybody, to me and Mr. 80s. I'm Nick the Me Part, and there, the big thunder from down under, <laughs> Mr. 80s. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Australia. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's Daryl. We, uh, we're talking musical disasters today. But before we go there, <laughs> I was thinking about something today. So if Lennon and McCartney were the Lennon and McCartney of the 60s, then the Lennon and McCartney of the 70s would have to be Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. Ooh. And just the same way that Beatles fans like to uh, uh, parse Beatles lyrics and you know figure out who the Eggman is and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> uh, some Kiss lyrics deserve a second look, and one that has troubled me for some time is for a little ditty called Deuce. <laughs> the chorus being, baby, if you're feeling good, baby, if you're feeling nice, you know your man is working hard, he's worth a deuce. <laughs> this doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense unless uh -oh. <laughs> we factor in that it's fairly well known that deuce is a slang term for poop feces. <laughs> because, you know, when you have to take a dump, you say, I've got to go number two. Well, two being deuce. But when people say, i got to drop a deuce, it means... So is this some kind of... Weird song about a scatological fetish. I, and until you brought that up, I, I've never considered that possibility. Uh, but I'm, as soon as you talked about it, I'm like, I can see exactly where this is going. <laughs> and um, I would think I've never heard that mentioned in a, you know, uh, and I, I, I am a Kiss fan, so I would think that at some point someone would have you know, brought that up or asked them or something, and I've never seen it. So it's either an incredibly well-guarded secret or, you know, I don't know, maybe they're... You never know. Paul Stanley could have a wonderful scat fetish. He really... <laughs> and welcome to the show, folks. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, he's been working hard. <laughs> now drop just, that deuce. Just take a dump on him. Come on, he's, he's, he's earned it. He's earned it. He's worked so hard. <laughs> wow. So what else could it be? Is there any other references to what a deuce could mean? The only thing I could think of was <laughs> that maybe it's talking about bringing another girl into the bedroom. You know, he he's worth two. Um... Get up and get your grandma out of here. That's how it starts. Huh. And so maybe, maybe she wanted a threesome with his with her grandma, and he wanted someone else. <laughs> maybe he wanted an ugly chick. He wanted a two. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Baby, it's a threesome, but she's only a two, so it's only like two and a half. <laughs> Well, until until I hear evidence to the other, to, you know, to the contrary, I'm just going to go with my scat fetish. All right. Well, we'll we'll send that out to uh, Gene and Paul and ask them for clarification. 
He's worked so hard. <laughs> and now she has to work hard to squeeze one out for him. I mean, you know, that that doesn't seem fair. That's... Have some bran. <laughs> for the love of God, eat some bran for breakfast. <laughs> Do your man a solid. <laughs> Yeah, because that is not the time where you want uh, Montezuma's revenge, really. <laughs> don't, do well, mean, a, don't do your man a liquid. Do him a side. That's all I had on my mind. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's that's a hell of a start. <laughs> where Where do you go from here? Well, you know, some people said that uh, Lana Del Rey was a big pile of crap on <laughs> Saturday Night Live. So I guess there that, you can go. Be, that can be the segue. In fact, that's actually what what got you thinking about this topic was because of the blogosphere exploding. Much like a colon. No, I kid. Uh, <laughs> the blogosphere exploding over uh, her performance. Yes. What a complete and total disaster how it's ruined a career that has just started. I, I don't see it. I, I saw the performance. I actually saw it the day after, so uh, I was able to hear the the rumblings of the, the nasty Internet, and then I watched both of the performances, and basically it was uninteresting and boring. She sort of stood there like a, like a pole that kind of swayed in the wind, and the, that was about it. I mean, you know. I can't say it was amazing, but, you know, the song wasn't amazing. So I don't know exactly what they were expecting of her performance to be. I mean... So really no worse than any other... Yeah, I mean, I've seen tons of disastrous yeah, performances on yeah. there, and no one ever, you know, uh, slammed them the next day and told them what piles of crap they were, so... Plus, even in recent years, Saturday Night Live has gotten a reputation for not knowing how to mix live music. Oh, I can see that too. And a lot of people say that, you know, when artists show up there to perform, that they sound really terrible. And I've always just chalked it up to the fact that in recent years they've had, of course, current artists on there and most current artists blow, and so that's why they sound like crap. But maybe there is something to this theory that it's, I mean, you would think a show like Saturday Night Live that every week features two live musical performances would have its shit together with as far as how to mix them so they sound good, but... I yeah, guess. no, but I've, I've been watching it a lot the last couple of seasons, and the the music acts definitely have, you know, sometimes the mix is just off, and you're like, shouldn't there be more drums in this? Or, like, why is there a guy playing keyboards and I don't hear keyboards? You know, it's just... <laughs> it, it's the live impromptuness of it. Well, the first time I ever heard Fallout Boy was on... Uh, Saturday Night Live, and uh, they sounded terrible. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is what everybody's been talking about. They were really, really bad. Uh, <laughs> Foster the People oh, sounded I really don't like them. They sounded pretty good on <laughs> on SNL. Their mix wasn't too bad, but uh, no. oh, which I got I got to point out. Uh, I don't know if anybody else saw this, but in Rolling Stone a few issues back, they. Interview the lead singer of Foster the People. His name is Mark Foster. <laughs> Clever. And uh, he was saying that uh, he hopes 
that his band uh, has uh, another hit that's just as big as Pumped Up Kicks because he doesn't want to end up a one-hit wonder like James Taylor. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that James Taylor. Yeah, he's he's known for one song and has no career and is a complete failure. <laughs> oh, wait, no, he was signed by the Beatles, has, you know, you know, a ton of gold records, including his 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 own greatest hits, is like one, one of, of the, the biggest selling albums of all time. <laughs> <laughs> he tours the sheds every summer and sells them out. He's yeah. released like twenty albums. This just goes to show you how stupid a lot of today's performers are. I'm wow. sorry, but it's just true. They're idiots. A one-hit wonder like James Taylor. I, I think uh, one of the themes, I guess, will bring back a lot during this show is the loss of context yes uh, you know if you can't uh if you if you just live in the now and you don't understand what happened before you became aware of life then you can't really figure out how to go forward and you say dumb shit and like james it. taylor had one hit yeah and that paul mccartney you know that wings band sucked i mean <laughs> he's never gonna amount to anything yeah he had that one hit. <laughs> that one hit. <laughs> say, say, say with Michael Jackson. <laughs> Michael Jackson was that white woman. <laughs> Wasn't she Diana Ross? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of the worst live performance I've ever seen on TV. And I'm blanking. I mean, I, I know, I, I remember some spectacular ones. Did you ever see the uh, the Motley Crue reunion? I think they did it at the uh, on the American Music Awards. Oh, is that what they were doing? Like uh, they did, like that the, the the black and white effect. So yes. I did. I saw that. Th- that was another one of those ones where I read people saying the next day, "Oh, it was awful. They sounded terrible." And you know, at times they do sound a little uh, haphazard, and you know, uh, depending on uh, lead singer Vince, Vince. Neil's uh, weight as to whether or not he can hold a note for us more than a second. Um, but that. That didn't seem, that again seemed like an overblown internet, you know, craze thing rather than, well actually I guess it wasn't really. It was in the infancy of the internet when that happened. I think, you know, people who, who, who knock how the crew sounds live, they're people that for some reason think that Vince Neil ever knew how to sing. (laughs) I mean, pretty much Vince Neil was the lead singer because he had the blonde hair. Yeah, he had the look. And, uh. In the 80s at least. But he could never, he could never sing. You know, a, a guy who can not get it up live anymore and considers continues to tour constantly and nobody ever calls him on it is john bon jovi that Mm. guy can not sing anymore Uh, i haven't heard him sing live for forever he does the nasal thing through the nose Uh. he sounds like he's trying to channel stevie nicks when he sings now (laughs) and that's a good i mean it's 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 so obvious and it's excruciating to watch and to listen to him. And you can actually see his face scrunch up as he's forcing the air through his nose. And nobody ever says, hey, John, you sound like garbage. Well, isn't that kind of like the the women who get the horrible plastic surgery and no one ever says, my, you look hideous. You frighten my children. You look like a pop (laughs) balloon. (laughs) You know, I just saw, uh, just last night, I saw some of... uh, um, Betty White's 90th tribute or something like yeah. that. That is a woman who, who does not look like she's had any sort of work. She just 
aged like a human being. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's true. Maybe she had really great plastic surgery, but, you know, when you look at her and then you look at, uh, like Mary Tyler Moore, or I mean, like, you know, her contemporaries that are on this stage with her, and you're like, wow, that's, why is no one saying anything about that? Because, well, what happens is when you get plastic surgery, I mean, you reach a certain age and the skin loses its elasticity anyway, and it's gonna, it's gonna sag. But after you've had plastic surgery, instead of sagging from like natural hanging points on the face, it starts sagging from wherever you got stitched, and so as a result, you get these kind of weird askew zigzag sags and mm. little pooches and pockets where things are sucking in where they shouldn't and i mean you start to look like edward james almost <laughs> like you've got you know acne scars almost because you've got so many little quilted pillows all over your chin and face wow that's a good look i probably the biggest musical disaster that i lived through my <laughs> god I, I make it sound like it was a war crime <laughs> <laughs> uh, was the Millie Vanilli scandal. Oh, yeah. But I always had a, a different view on this. Because I think it's since I didn't buy the album because I thought the guys on the cover were hot. <laughs> I just thought that it was well-executed commercial dance music. Mm-hmm. It, I didn't really get the outcry when you found out that the people that performed the music were not the ones that... We're actually posing for the photograph on the cover. Now, a concert, I can understand. If you bought a concert ticket and, you know, found out later that you were just seeing some guys jump around to, to backing tracks, you know, at the time that was novel, so I can under, I can understand how you might get pissed off. I mean, now they all do it. If you're going to see a concert with a female lead singer who's wearing a headset, my, you know, Janet Jackson, Britney Spears, mm -hmm. she's not singing, folks. You're paying to listen to her <laughs> lip sync to the records, okay? Uh, or they add in her voice, but they have someone behind the stage or something who's m filling in her vocals. Yeah. So you kind of, you know, hear the, <gasps> as she's breathing hard every so often. That's about, that's about the extent of her live performance. But I never understood the outrage over, well, over Millie Vanilli. And especially, you were saying that, you know, uh, the live performance, you know, where they're just singing to backing tracks, but so does everyone else. I mean, New Kids on the Block and all those people, they all did backing tracks. It was, you know, so it's not like you were being let down by their performance and then, you know, New Kids on the Block comes out and they are, you know, the exact same thing. I mean, they were just figureheads. You know, you basically just, you know, bought an album by somebody else and they stood there and, you know, looked pretty for it. Uh, I, I don't know that you, I, I guess you can say, uh, When they took away the Grammy, they shouldn't have given it to those two. They should have given it to the guys who actually sang on the album. Exactly. But I mean, I mean Millie Vanilli was... I mean, it's not as though Rob Pilatus and Fab Morvan were a couple of struggling musicians over in Europe who formed a band <laughs> called Millie Vanilli and you know, all that kind of... I mean, this was a record producer who did European disco music. His name is Frank Farian. All right, it's his project. It very similar to like a Giorgio Moroder would do. I mean, he's sort of a you know a Spengali, or even you know a Malcolm McLaren in the the way Malcolm Punker. McLaren mm -hmm. put together the Sex Pistols. Yep, that is exactly what Frank Farian did with Millie Vanilli. He he assembled it, made the record, hired the guys to you know to perform the songs and sing the songs. 
Uh, and then also hired the guys to pose for the cover art for the album. So Frank Farian basically is Millie Vanilli. Millie Vanilli is a corporation that he created. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that the corporation Millie Vanilli wins a Grammy Award and then has it taken away because it turns out that the two guys that posed on the front cover were not the guys singing the songs is ludicrous. Either you gave the award to the music or you didn't. Well, uh, when Pink Floyd, uh, before... Um, Sid Barrett left. There were, you know, any, any sort of type of thing like that where, you know, uh, they can win an album and, but maybe someone, you know, was doing too many drugs and really didn't play on that album. So they, but they'll still give the album to the band. You know, they, it's not like they give the, you know, the, the accolades to everyone in the band, but they say, what, well, but don't give, don't give the accolades to Sid because he didn't really play on that album. <laughs> you know, they were a part of the album. Even if he was just standing the pictures on the back cover of it, you know, it's kind of the same thing with Millie Vanilli. They were, you know, they were a part of the group. They just weren't the singers. Mm -hmm. They were just, you know, the guys that went out and danced in front of people. They were part of the marketing. Yeah. So, I mean, I can understand how it's definitely different from the way we perceive that it's supposed to happen. But uh, the outrage that, that came along with it, I just never really understood. Was it figureheaded? I mean, I don't really remember who was. Was it was it a case of news programs sticking someone in something in someone's face saying, "Aren't you outraged? Don't you feel bad about this? Don't you feel used and abused?" I mean, I think a lot of it was making. I think a lot of it was definitely fueled by the press. Because I don't really remember anyone. You know, it wasn't like a group or anything coming out and saying, mm-hmm. "You know, you've been lied Mothers to." Mothers against Millie Vanilli. <laughs> 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 I'm Geraldine Page. I'm the president of MAM. <laughs> Just MAM. Mothers against Millie. <laughs> we have nothing, no problem with Vanilli, but Millie really pissed us off. If it had just been Vanilli, <laughs> but no. Here comes Millie. <laughs> Millie is my husband's secretary. <laughs> yeah, really. From she dresses 50s. provocatively, and I do not like her. <laughs> Therefore, this album must be banned. Oh, M A A M, mother against mothers against all Millies. <laughs> there you go. Now we're just getting ridiculous. Though. <laughs> now we're getting ridiculous. And then a similar thing, you know, uh, 15 years later, uh, Ashley Simpson is on Saturday Night Live. And, oh, another Saturday Night Live wrestler. And they, uh, she gets confused because they start playing the. Song she's already performed. She's coming out for her second performance, and they cue the tape for that song, and so she freezes because she realizes she already performed that song. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the show, she comes out, and she throws her drummer under the bus. She's like, yeah, my drummer started playing the wrong rhythm, and it just threw me. And I'm thinking, well, that's that's great. That's real nice. Of course, we later find out that's not what happened at all. It was her drummer's fault. He was the one that was supposed to activate the track, and he activated the wrong one. But... <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you rely on other people to hide your secret, those things can happen. And then there's ridiculous stuff like, uh, you know, Simon LeBon at Live Aid hit a legendary bum note hmm. during his performance of uh, A View to a Kill. And I remember that. His, basically, like, his voice cracked. 
while he was singing. And so it was, you know, kind of a, a horrible moment. Uh, but because of this, their performance of this song has been kind of excised from the official record. So like the, uh, really? the DVD they put out, uh, they just skipped it. Only has three of the four songs <laughs> that they perform because, you know, Simon's very embarrassed. You can, you can find it on, on YouTube though, of course. And it's not that bad. I mean, they did, they did a, a fine performance and a lot of the artists who, who played at Live Aid have said that because of the way that it was kind of thrown together, a lot of, in a lot, in a lot of cases, you know, they were performing without rehearsing. They were performing using rented instruments that they'd not had a chance to really warm up on. And, and so it was just kind of a, you know, hey gang, let's put on a show kind of a thing. I think the fans understand that. And so it's sad to me when one, one bum note can kind of ruin the memory of a performance. And the reason that that performance especially is so important is because up and, you know, they had not put out an album for a while before then. They had not been on tour. They come together. They perform this uh, song, and then that actually ends up being the last time that that group of guys plays together. I think until they put out the Astronaut album. Hmm. So, in the history of Duran Duran, that's that's kind of the last the last chance you've got to see the original lineup uh, play kind of in their classic era. I know nobody else gives a shit about that, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Uh-oh. I think if they're listening to this, they probably care. Um, the the problem, you know, as with everything nowadays, is you know when you have the internet's now every every mistake is now going to be on you know some internet place somewhere for the rest of you know everyone's life. I mean, you know, whether or not Lana Del Rey sucked on SNL. I guarantee you, 50 years from now, you'll be able to find it on whatever the hell YouTube thing is out there. You know, Son of the Bond hits one bad note, and because he did it on a national stage, because he did it during Live Aid, it has been kept by everybody, which means it will be there. That will be there for another 50 years. I mean, it's just, you know, we're talking about musical disasters, and, you know, I all the things we're going to mention... 50 years from now, they'll all still be it. You'll be able to look them all up. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's terrible that, you know, you've now got to live, you know, everywhere. In every performance that a musician has, in every, you know, every time they step out live, you know, they have to wear the right dress, they have to sing the right note, they, you know. That's why uh, musical disaster like Amy Winehouse, you know, she may have had a great voice, but... You know, if you search her name, you find YouTube videos, what are you going to find? You're not going to find her singing a song. You're going to find her drunk or wasted and falling on the stage, you know. It's, you know, it's a uh, legend of, you know, any great singer can be completely ruined by the fact that, you know, you're going to remember their worst moments. And people really need to lighten the hell up, too. <clears throat> uh, I mean, the the Internet... Has kind of brought along with it uh, a certain level of meanness and snark yeah. to popular culture that uh, is kind of sad. I mean, do I do I want to go back to the days when uh, you know famous people's careers were uh, very well? orchestrated by publicists who were in cahoots with a select few gossip columnists. And so, henceforth, uh, 
you know, guys like Liberace and, and Rock Hudson were out there being portrayed as straight guys when they, you know, they plainly were not. I mean, do I want that kind of concrete veil of secrecy between a performer's actual life and, and uh, our perception of them? No. But do I want something like an Amy Winehouse situation where basically this very ill woman, uh, her death is really probably expedited by this vulture culture of parasites who are just sitting there waiting for her to come out of her apartment and fuck up so they can tape it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like that. I, I know, you know, we've always wanted to know more about our celebrities, but, you know, when does that get to be too much? <laughs> I think, you know, when you... uh when you uh, end up killing Lady Diana because your paparazzi's chasing her, when you uh, can't leave someone who's clearly disturbed by their, you know, addictions, like an Amy Winehouse alone, you know. But how much of, you know, something like an Amy Winehouse, how much is it is other people around her pushing her out the door saying, oh, you'll be fine? You know, I mean, before, um, maybe, you know, a few months before she was, uh, before she passed away, there was some footage of her in, you know, like Turkey or something, where she was just so wasted she couldn't even, she just curled up on the ball on the middle of the stage. And it's just like, at, at some point, shouldn't you stop? You know, even if she says, hey, I want to go out and perform, shouldn't somebody around her say, nope, we're good. You know, just stay at home and, you know. That's that's a you know a whole other conversation because when you get into a situation like that, I mean, it's not only the the the, the press and uh, other blogosphere you know scourges who are feeding on it, but there's also a whole business that's being driven by uh, this person who's ill, and there's a whole machine behind her, you know, him, her, or it, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily just Amy Winehouse. That is saying that these things have to continue because you've now got a whole machine behind you and salaries and stuff that are that are counting on it and you know, people taking advantage of you and that's you know that's a story that's as old as the entertainment business yeah. uh, itself. Well, my uh, my boss when I was working at the uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before but on at the uh, amphitheater before I started working there they had uh, the guys from Alice in Chains there. And was it Lane Staley that died? Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, he was, I don't know what made him, what brought the conversation up, but he was talking about how when they were there to perform, you know, said it was really just, you know, like the drug addict and his crew of codependency. You know, everyone knew he had a problem, and it was really obvious, you know, backstage that he had a really bad problem. But nobody around it would deal with it. They were all just kind of trying to make excuses for him so they could get through the tour. And then, you know, people wouldn't, you know, walk around going, oh, you know, he'll be fine once we get off the tour and all that, you know, and he died after the tour. So, obviously not. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a, you know, it's a shame when, you know, you're so great, even like an Andrew Wood. I mean, I don't know, you know, since he didn't become, you know, famous enough before he died. Um, uh, I can. I'm blocking the name again. Mother Love Bone. Mother Love Bone. We talked about that in a, a previous episode, um, where he was, you know, this great guy and everyone loved him, but he also had the drug problem that he couldn't kick. And, you know, 
it's just... Well, the Lane Staley story, I mean, from what I understand, a little dribbles have kind of have kind of come out but i mean apparently the end of lane staley is one of the saddest stories you're ever going to hear because he uh i'm holed up in his condo which i think was in seattle right he had not moved to la he was still living in the pacific northwest somewhere i believe i'm not sure but had uh you know once the tour was over with and he basically holed up in in his condo and cut off contact with everybody you know uh, mother uh, relatives, uh, fellow band members, and pretty much only had contact with his dealers. Mm. And that is why uh, nobody had realized he had died, because right. he had kind of dropped off the face of the earth. And apparently uh, his, I don't know that much about heroin addiction, but apparently his, his addiction had gotten so bad that he, he had lost a lot of his teeth. I mean, I don't know if that's kind of a, a side effect of, of that particular drug. But, I mean, the man was a mess. Mm-hmm. And uh, consequently, because of the shell that he had retreated into, uh, I believe, I know that his his body was in his condo for at least a week, perhaps two, before he was even found. Mm-hmm. And when you think about going from the, you know, the highest of highs in human accomplishment to, you know, be up on a stage and adored by tens of thousands and to sell millions of records to to die alone toothless and high yeah and your condo so cut off from the rest of the world that nobody even notices you're gone for two weeks yeah i thought i remembered hearing that it wasn't his band manager that found him and they just they were you know someone had finally decided to check on him and you know uh yeah that's a that's a terrible story yeah, there's just yeah, there's there's no there's no good way out of that one. <laughs> that, that is a true musical disaster. Um, we can talk about a less of a disaster, which was you know uh, something like uh, Christina Aguilera's Bionic album, which was supposed to be her wonderful comeback. And why did I, people hate that record so much? I don't know. I mean, I, it's I'm not a big Christina Aguilera fan, but it sounded like a Christina Aguilera album, right? Well, the first track on it sounded more like um, like a Lady Gaga type song. So I think, you know, first impression, you hear that and you go, oh, she's just trying to rip someone else off rather than do her own thing. Oh, I, I, when they all use, you know, like the same producer, yep. everyone sounds the same. I mean, you can take, you know, whoever's, you know, top 20 track and stick, you know, any other singer on there and they all sound the same. It's the producer, not the girl. And so that, you know, when you try and, you know, when you're trying to get a nice big hit, you go use the same producer. And now, you know, it looks uh, somehow for her, it looked bad. You know, other people do it. No problem. Her doing it. It seems somehow, you know, again, internets go haywire and have that to. That kicked off a really crappy year for her, too, because didn't that burlesque movie tank? Yeah. Which I saw. It was. I, I guess it. she ended on a high note by joining The Voice. Yeah, boy. Well, but that was, you know, no, no one was expecting that thing to go off either. I mean, everyone was expecting that one thing to, you know, not not work. Even the people, I heard uh, Allison Hayslip, who was the, uh, the social media girl from that on uh, the Nerdist podcast. And, uh, you know, nobody, no one there was expecting that it was going to be a huge hit. 
but it was gangbusters hits. I mean, it just, you know, the number they spent an awful lot of thing. money on judges for thinking it wasn't going to be a hit. Well, maybe not a hit, but I mean, you're like, you know, not bad, but you never, you know, frankly, you know, no one expected Adam Levine to be charismatic, which I thought was interesting. Again, why do you pick those? And CeeLo, with his little baby dinosaur arms, really freaks me the hell out. But, you know, I'm surprised you want to put him on TV. But, okay, he seems like a nice person. Um, and, and I love CeeLo. He's like one of the only people making music today that interest me. I really? loved his last album, The Lady Killer. Oh, cool. I don't think I've heard very much of it. And Blake... Uh, Shelton? Blake Shelton. Um, I, I, you know, getting a cross-section, I don't know how they picked him, but... And I, I, I kind of wonder, you know, it seems like the big money they spent on that thing was Christina Aguilera. Yeah. So it kind of seems like she wouldn't want to pick people who were more of a star than her. So, I don't know, it seems like a, it seems like a bad idea to... It's funny know. what's happening with television because you're attracting A-list talent now, like you know her, Steve Tyler, Stern now is joining America's Got Talent. You're kidding! Um, How did I miss that? And then for entertainment programs, um, you know Glenn Close uh, did a season-long run on The Shield several years ago, and then she did a couple seasons of that show, Damages. Damages. Now Dustin Hoffman is joining mm-hmm. uh, Luck on HBO. Uh, the lines are kind of erasing a little bit between, you know, for a while. You know, I mean, television classically was kind of considered a ghetto medium. And once you broke out, I mean, if you were one of the lucky few that <laughs> that broke out of TV into movies, you never went back. Yeah, you can, uh, yeah, the the, uh, the careers of someone like, uh, wow, who was the guy from MASH? Hello, Larry. <laughs> McLean Stevenson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving this highly rated TV show called MASH. Screw you all. I'm going to go have my own TV show. Hello, Larry. Tank. <laughs> Hello, Larry. Goodbye, career. <laughs> Which, by the way, remember when I sang the Baby Bobka song? <laughs> I can sing part of the Hello, Larry theme song. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> wow. Hello, Larry. You talk to people all day for a living. <laughs> Why do I remember that? Was he a talk show host or something? Yes, uh, he was a radio talk show host. And it was a spinoff of Different Strokes because he was old buddies with Philip Drummond. <laughs> wow. Totally did not know that. Wow. I cannot believe five minutes ago we were talking about the tragic death of Lane Staley, and now we're talking about frickin' McLean Stevenson. You know, someone else who did that, and I guess he kind of eventually pulled it off, was uh, NYPD Blue, the ginger. Yes, uh, David Caruso. David Caruso. Screw you. Well, he he, he survived it, but he was going to go, screw you guys, I'm going to go have a film career. Yes. And what was it, Jade? Jade. Oh, what a pile of crap that was. Uh, uh, yes. What was the the twist on that was anal sex? I mean, you know, I never was, saw it because I heard it was so terrible. Oh, yeah. There was something something about had something to the the big secret at the end i've ruined a movie that's 30 years old please get over it uh Not was something <laughs> i don't know really um yeah 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 uh it, there was something something about like uh something about maybe a prostitute or something and she did something that was so wrong and 
I, something about it, the wrong thing was anal sex. That was the uh, best they could do. Yeah, uh, yeah. What a what a letdown <laughs> in so many ways. But he was good in what was the remake that was Kiss of Death. Kiss of Death. That, that was a good. That was a good. That movie. was an excellent movie. A a little uh, a little scene movie. And for some reason, uh, since it was released on the heels of Pulp Fiction, was marketed as being like Pulp Fiction. Oh. It's nothing like Pulp Fiction, but yeah. it's a damn good crime thriller. Yeah. And yeah, well, that was an excellent, excellent movie. And but by then, the anti-Caruso backlash was so huge yeah, that nobody would have gone to see that if it had been Gone with the Wind. They just didn't care. It's like it's got that arrogant prick in there who thought he was too good <laughs> for television. So. Yeah, but they they forgave him. I mean, CSI Miami has been going on for a long time now. So, there you go. Everyone loves a comeback. And he's a much worse actor now. <laughs> really? <laughs> he was, I'm he so was, surprised. He was really good in NYPD Blue. I, I remember that. And it's almost like now on, on CSI Miami, it's not like I watch it regularly, but I'm familiar with it. Uh, it's almost like he has contempt for the the creators of the show. I don't know who he doesn't like, but it's like his performance is almost like sarcastic. It's just this collection of ticks and everyone has the, you know, take the glasses, take the glasses off. off move and it's like, yeah, that's what that's what everyone thinks about him now. I mean, there are YouTube videos out there of him taking his glasses off or putting his glasses on. Uh, saying some snappy one-liner and then the, the scream from the, the Who song. And the, the, there's like YouTube clips out there where people have edited together just like two and three minutes of, of those moments. He's just, he's like a, he's just a walking affectation now. He's a character, not a character. Yeah. <laughs> you had mentioned before we, uh, started, uh, talking with the mics open about, Duff and Slash's drunken visit to the American Music Awards. <laughs> I still have that on uh, a video cassette somewhere. I and of course, the the big, the big controversy there was that I don't know if the AMAs did not have a delay, nope. and so uh, Slash and Duff are there, and they're wasted, and they get up to accept an award for I don't even know what was it album of the year, rock album of the year. I don't even know. Yeah, it must have been. It must have been. Album. Well, this was actually they. They got up there, I think, three times in the night, um, because the uh, the first time I think they were okay, but the second time they, um, it, I think maybe they were going to swear, and then the third time they did, or the second time they swear, and the third time they apologized. But they're up there. They're obviously drunk. I mean, obviously Hammer. drunk, and. It, they're they're just talking the way that guys talk, but uh, you can't do that in prime time on you know on, on television. So it's not like they're up there and just stringing together a bunch of curses to shock. They're just they're talking and they're peppering what they're saying with you know, using the f word as an adjective. It was a great fucking time. We're just happy to be here, man. We love you all. You're fucking wonderful. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you know, there's this huge backlash. This is like the precursor to Nipplegate. You know, people just can't believe. People are shocked. Shocked, I tell you! <laughs> that people are cursing in prime time on yeah. network television. A bunch of drunk, uh, drunk rock stars without any time and tape delay you know, are, are swearing on national television. 
really. You you couldn't see that one coming. And this was like 89 or 90, I think, <laughs> yeah. when this happened. And I remember the media outcry. I mean, it, it had legs. It was talked about, you know, for for multiple days. And I remember being a teenage kid and just kind of scratching my head going, what is the big deal here? <laughs> Well, it's the the fines. If you let it, if you let a swear word go out on national television, you can have you know million dollar fines because you you can fine every station that allowed it to go out on the air. So you know that's a lot of people, and that's of course why they want to immediately go. Oh, we don't know. It's not our fault. You know, don't blame us. Don't you know? Don't take our money away. I can get how they want to you know immediately apologize, but. You can't tell me you didn't see this coming. I mean, it's you're just lucky it didn't happen before that. You're letting Duff and Slash drink and then inviting them up on stage with an open mic live on TV. Yeah. Yeah, so thanks to thanks thanks for tape delays, Guns N' Roses. Yep. <laughs> Which is it I mean, it's amazing it hadn't happened sooner. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how did they how do they make it that long without having it happen? I mean, it, I'm surprised that the Rat Pack didn't take care of that in the 60s. Yeah. You would think they would have slipped out something. Or even, well, even, you know, there seemed to be a lot of, you know, drug use in the 70s. Or, you know, someone must have been whacked out when they, wasn't, didn't uh, Marlon Brando say or something? He was like, you know, like on acid when he accepted an Academy Award or something. <laughs> I, I thought I, I remembered hearing that. that. I thought I remembered hearing that. So, you know. All the drugs in, in in Hollywood, and no one ever, you know, picked up an award and just said, "Hey, fuck you!" <laughs> Everybody in high school who didn't believe in me. <laughs> yes, there you go. The uh, the glorious artistic person. <laughs> yeah, how did they not say fuck you to their schoolmates? Well, I, we've kind of worked through. Uh, my list of musical disasters, although we've kind of gone on a potpourri kind of a... <laughs> yeah, we, we hit career, you know, acting career, movie careers. Oh, did you ever see the uh, the Who at the Super Bowl? Yes, I did. And did you find, think that that was a horrible and offensive disaster? Um, I think knowing how touch-and-go Roger Daltrey's voice has been the last 10 or 15 years... Mm-hmm. Uh, that I thought that was a pretty good night for him. Thank you. I, I thought it was too. I, I was really surprised the next day when everyone was saying how, well, what a bunch of you know worthless disasters. How could they even you know bother? You know, um, one of the things I saw was saying how they didn't even start rehearsing till a week before the performance. They're the who? They're the who? They've been doing it for how many fucking years? You don't give them a break? Do they need to re- perform these songs? You know, for a month? I mean, give me a break. It's <laughs> They've been playing these songs for years. They know how to do it. I will tell you this, though. I think that the whole thing with The Who was it was just kind of classic rock overload at that point. We had had several years in a row of you know Tom Petty, Paul McCartney, The Rolling Stones, Bruce Springsteen. Prince was awesome, though. Um, and I think that that was part of the backlash was just, oh, my God, another classic rock band. And then uh, I personally did not like the juxtaposition of the Who's performance with stereotypical Super Bowl spectacle. Hmm. I just didn't think that it worked. 
You I was going to say that I actually liked the the spectacle of it. I mean, I think they, they had this really interesting light, you know, Vegas-esque light show going on around the stage around yeah. them. And I thought that was kind of, you know, kind of hip and now. See, I hated that. And I thought that was good a good juxtaposition for people who were thinking, oh, it's just classic rock. Well, they have something visually that can entertain them. And I like the fact that they did pretty much all the songs that, you know, people were using on TV, mainly for the CSI thing. So if you... Again, we're talking about the context. If you knew those songs, but you didn't know who it was that sang them, you can now go, oh, I know that one. Oh, I know that one. Oh, crap, this is the guys, you know. So I thought that was a, a really great thing, is that, you know, if you knew the songs, but you didn't know the band, now you know who the band are. You saw them in a big stage. You saw, you know, hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands of people going crazy for them. I thought that would be kind of cool. I just think that they should have Springsteen do it every year. <laughs> I mean, to me, Springsteen's Super Bowl halftime show is the best Super Bowl halftime show performance I've ever seen in my life. Yes, he played too much stuff off of the new album, um, but other than that, I mean, he just—he sounded great. He, you know, the songs were great. Yeah, you know, the performances were great. I, I do think he did a great job. I still think Prince did a better job. I loved his performance. He, his is my favorite. You know. uh Doing uh, Purple Rain and a big set, and uh, didn't did he do a Foo Fighters song? Why am I thinking of that? Yeah, he he did. Uh, yeah, probably to thank them for covering "Darling Nikki." <laughs> That's why I was I was I, for some reason that popped into my head, but I'm like, wait, they did "Darling Nikki." My, <laughs> I don't know if I'm. But yeah, th- I just thought he did a he did a great performance, and he was totally uh, into doing it. I mean, sometimes it seems like um, I'm not sure if he's going to be into doing his old stuff because he's kind of gotten to that point where he kind of says, you know, I don't really want to do you know the back cut like the old uh, uh, U2 quote. What we are about now is Zoo TV. TV. Yes. <laughs> Wonderfully, one of the most pretentious lines I've heard in a while. What we're about now is music that sucks. <laughs> Did you see I, the reissues of those? Yeah. yeah. I liked uh, Mysterious Ways. Was that the album title? The album title was uh, uh, Octung Baby. Thank you. Yeah, I like that album. It's a good album. Zoo TV. <laughs> I didn't mind Zuropa. But uh, oh, yeah, but there, yeah. pop, pop, or pop like, was the one that I just thought to myself, "Wow." I thought I thought pop to me was was what Zuropa should have been because I thought that they they kind of were trying to you know bridge electronica and and their own sensibilities and I thought they did a better job with uh, pop. I thought they had some really I don't think. Lyrically, maybe it wasn't great, but I thought it had a great sound to it. I mean, it had a really, you know, you can turn up the music and it just sort of had a good groove to it. It's got a good beat and you can dance to it. Yeah, I'd give it an 85. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I thought, as far as Super Bowl halftime shows, too, I I thought the Stones did a good job. I thought that uh, McCartney was dull as hell. Uh, I like Tom Petty, but I thought Petty's Super Bowl performance was boring. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I admire what he tried to do, which was let the music do the talking, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Who would have benefited from a little bit more of that. 
But uh, how do you think Madonna's going to do? Yeah, a lot of people are really up in arms about that. It must be the same people that are pissed they made it into the Rock Hall. You know, people are very upset that Madonna is doing the halftime show. And I understand that it's really hard to please people because, yeah. I mean, the the, the the Super Bowl bookers probably thought, okay, we're doing a good thing here. We're not going to do classic rock. Well, now we're going to do classic pop. Yeah, now people are going, but yeah, but she's still an old broad. There's a contingent out there, contingent out there that are saying she's white. You know, why, why, what is it with the white performers? Mm, uh, that is true. So, and no country I mean, performers. I mean, they've all been rock. Yeah, if they did a country performer at a half at the halftime show, I, I, I don't know, man. I. But who I, would I you would, get that would be? I mean, I think the point I, I would assume is that oh, they, they well, Prince. I'm sorry, Prince was there. But other than that, that's pretty much been the only you know uh, non-white rock performer. Um, I think someday Garth Brooks will come out of retirement and do the Super Bowl. Yeah, halftime show. That'll probably, that'll probably be how he kicks off his comeback. You know, because I, I he's, can totally he, see that he's he's so into you know big statements like that and you know big artistic flourishes that, like Chris Gaines. Yes, <laughs> that I think I think that whenever Garth Brooks decides to come back, and mark my words, he, he will, will decide to come back. <laughs> oh yeah. He's going to kick it off with the Super Bowl halftime show. Yep. Book it. Hmm. Bet on it. All right. Well, Garth, if you're listening, go out there and make that happen for us. <laughs> make us make us proud. Um, yeah. I, I. If she does something, you know, the, the thing that I like that MTV used to do, and I, again, when we were talking about context, I think I mentioned this, is that I loved when they would bring out you know, uh, a current celebrity, and then they would, you know, do something, you know, with the, with, you know, prior celebrities, performers that were kind of, you know, influences of theirs. I wouldn't mind seeing if they're going to do all these classic rock or classic pop artists on the Super Bowl, why not do the same thing? You know, um, what, well, this was, this was a number of years ago, but I think it was Aerosmith. Aerosmith, and they did, they brought out Britney Spears. And, um, and, was it Justin Timberlake or was it the entire NSYNC? I think it was NSYNC. It was NSYNC. Yeah, it was NSYNC because they, they remember they, they did the uh, they did the Ben Stiller little uh, little funny sketch where Ben Stiller was playing the uh, the guy who was directing the halftime performance and NSYNC is rehearsing and he's like that and sucked. <laughs> so yes, it was NSYNC. Yeah, so I mean you know I wouldn't mind seeing something like that, something that could really you know. If they want to get, their point is, I'm sure, to get as many people to want to stay and watch it as possible. Because there's always other options. There's always some sort of puppy bowl or lingerie bowl or who the fuck cares bowl going on on, during halftime. So they want you to stay. They want to get as many people to stay. So they're trying to get the lowest common denominator. I get that. But why not, you know, get Madonna and a once in a lifetime performance with Lady Gaga, you know? Because Lady Gaga could be performing Born This Way, and Madonna exactly. could be performing Express Mash Yourself up. at the same time, and you could see how they're the exact same song. Well, that would be good. <laughs> but, you know, something like that. That would actually, yeah. I mean, because I mean, right now, everything that Lady Gaga does, uh, a large number of people seem to be interested in. That, that would be 
kind yeah. of a cool. Or anybody else. I mean, you know, bring out, you know, hell, bring out Lana Del Rey. Who the fuck cares? Bring out somebody, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, mix and match up some stuff and, you know, make it a little more interesting other than just, you know, doing a, you know, you know, a 20 minute greatest hits. I want Isaac Hayes, Curtis Mayfield, and Teddy Bendergrass to come back from the dead <laughs> and do a halftime show. That's what I want. All right. <laughs> That would be a kick-ass halftime show, <laughs> and not just because they'd be zombies. <laughs> Wait, they need they need one more because they'd have to be the fabulous undead four. <laughs> well, I guess Is James Brown dead. James Brown. I was thinking James Brown, but he might he might be too much. Yeah. Who else? Otis Redding. That'd be good. Otis, I could deal with that. He's a little more subtle. Or Sam Cooke. Oh, there you go. Can you imagine if Jackie Robinson came back? Or Baseball Jackie player? Robinson. <laughs> Jackie Wilson. I always do that. If Jackie Wilson came back and did a, uh, did uh, higher and higher, that would be a Super Bowl halftime show for the ages. There you go. That's one of the greatest songs of all time. Mm-hmm. I know it's been used in too many movie trailers, but it's just, what a song. Yeah, still a great song. You know, that really is the mark of a great song is the you know the the songs that you can you can hear all the time and never go oh I have to change the channel or oh, I don't want to hear that you know that's 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 a great record yeah I've I've been in Isaac Hayes world again this last week <laughs> it's pretty much all I've been listening to at work is just one Isaac Hayes album after another how many does he have a lot. I mean, he started recording in 69, and his last record came out in 95. Not bad. So, and he slowed down in the 90s, but um, from 69 through uh, the early 80s, he was putting out an album a year. And then the 80s, he didn't really slow down that much. I mean, I would say he probably put out a good six records in the 80s. So, there's a lot. That's pretty impressive. Problem being that uh, some of the '80s output is uh, out of print. Oh, hmm. Because uh, there are some some records where he did fall victim to uh, '80s production syndrome, and there are a lot of people out there that would like to pretend that '80s production never happened. <laughs> and uh, plus, with his sound being so organic and, and so rooted in. In early seventies soul, I can understand that is can. I, I do understand how some people could think that listening to an Isaac Hayes record with eighties production would almost be blasphemous. Uh, <laughs> but still, it, it, it deserves to be out there. Well, yeah, especially now that he's he's passed. You know, and there's he's not going to be anymore. Yeah, so this, that would be the perfect time to start releasing old albums that have been out of print. Frankly, nowadays with the internet, you never have to, you know, I remember, you know, years ago when we were looking for, you know, when they were going to release, you know, unreleased albums getting picked up by labels, you'd have to worry about how many people are actually going to buy this, how many are there, how are they going to press 10,000 but only sell, you know, 512. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, hell, you can, you know, put it online, you don't even have to put it into a, into a store, you can just sell them as they buy them, and it'll be cheap as hell. Maybe you should go out and buy the uh, rights to them. <laughs> I tell you, there's there's one one record that I have been waiting and waiting a completely uh, different 
uh, but there's one record that I cannot believe with how easy it is now with MP3s that you no longer have to invest in physical product. I mean, pretty much all you have to do is walk down the hall, get the master tape, convert it to a digital file, and put it out there. Yeah. I mean, the labor costs for how much it would cost to do that, you're probably talking a few hundred bucks. Oh, yeah. You know? Uh, Greg Hawks, the keyboard player from the Cars, put out a solo record, mostly instrumental, called Niagara Falls in 1983, <laughs> that I have been waiting and waiting and waiting uh, for it to come out. Because it's one of these deals that came out in 83 before CDs were big, so it was never released on CD, even originally. So it's not like there's even original pressings floating around oh, out that's there. that's too bad. And I can't believe, especially with him being kind of a technologically cutting-edge kind of a guy, that it's not out there somewhere. Was it released on a major label? It was released on a label called Passport, Hmm. which had a very troubled history. Uh, They actually released a Todd Rundgren album as well. And it's one of these labels that I don't really... I don't, I probably shouldn't say my own personal opinion of what was going on, so I guess I'll just kind of stick to the facts. It seemed to be well funded. Mm. And came onto the scene very quickly. <laughs> came onto the scene, you said it, not me. Came onto the scene very quickly and very aggressively and then folded really quick. And so consequently you had a bunch of these records that were released with no promotion. And then once the initial copies were sold, the company didn't exist anymore, and so they never made any more. Oh, that's shady. So that's what happened to the Greg Hawks album. Hmm. Have you ever uh, looked up Hawks online and see if he has, like, a a contact? Maybe you can write him and say, hey, do you have the masters of the... <laughs> you know, uh, when are you going to release that? Yes, I have I have scoured the Internet trying to... Hmm. There's About half of the album is on YouTube. Oh, that's cool. Um... But I've not been able to find any place where you can download MP3s or anything. Hmm. So that's just one of those. I mean, I know nobody else cares, but God, I want it so bad. <laughs> well, see, that's the great thing about the internet, as I guarantee you, in this vast expanse of people, that there are other people out there who care. That's you know, may may be tough to find them. They may be in like Indonesia, nice. but uh. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Musical disasters plus. Plus a whole lot more. <laughs> so just remember, if your man's working hard, he's worth the news. <laughs> <laughs> what a callback. <laughs> you might want to ask him first, though, just in case. <laughs> Maybe that's not a treat. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't want to stay in his favorite <laughs> Afghan. Wow, <laughs> 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 oh, there you go. <laughs> Lay off the prune juice the day before. No chili tonight. No chili tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh... We would remind you to uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, the page name has now been updated to reflect the actual name of the show. So it's now me and Mr. 80s, so you can like us on Facebook. Uh, send us an email at mr80s at rocketmail.com. 
Mr. 80s, that's M-I-S-T-E-R-8-0-S. And I don't know, you've been doing some other technical stuff, so are there other things people need to know, how to uh, find us or link no, to their I've friends it, or whatever? I've been putting this out there as many places as it'll take us, so whatever uh, pod feed aggregator you use, obviously we have the major ones, iTunes, Zune, and Podbean, and I've seen a, a good uptick of people on Zoom finding us, so hello to all of you, hope you enjoy the show, and tell all your friends. All right. And good night, Xander Berkeley, wherever you are.